Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, you're listening to the Times Redbox podcast. I'm Patrick McGuire, in for Matt Chorley all this week. Coming up today, Rishi Sunak is the next Prime Minister, but can he save the Tory party? And what can he achieve between now and the general election? First, though, it's a Monday, so today's columnist panel is Libby Rachey. The Colonists with Libby Rachie, Libby Purvis and Rachel Sylvester on Times Radio. Yeah, time for our Colonist panel, Libby Rachie this morning. Libby Purvis, good morning, Libby. Morning. And Rachel Sylvester, morning, Rachel. Morning. Uh, how are you, Libby? Are you enjoying the show? Uh, yes, actually, I've just been for a weekend away and not writing a column. That, that's, uh, that always makes you very happy. And then, of course, Boris drops out and, and you think, yeah, maybe everything's going to be all right after all. So, yeah. Uh, Rachel, how are you? Well, it's Richie wants to get to number 10, isn't it? It's, he's playing Matt's game today. He so, is, and, he's doing, the, the and I think he's doing rather well. The is going on in real life. It yeah, is, it is. It could it be is. today, his big day. Well, let's get, let's get straight into it. Rachel, <laughs> I, I, you know, you'll have been watching this very closely and speaking to all the... Speaking to all the key players, do you think nothing can stop Rishi Sunak at this point? Well, the key thing is Penny, well, Penny Mordaunt is at the moment saying that she wants to keep going and she's got the numbers, she's confident she can get onto that ballot paper. But I think the problem is if she does go ahead and put her name forward to go to the party members, and, and if she does win that, there'll be this, uh, this renewed clash of mandates between what the members want and what the MPs want because Rishi Sunak has now got over half the MPs supporting him. So I think there'll be growing pressure on Penny Mordaunt to drop out um, and fall in with uh, Rishi Sunak in return for a big job. I should think those negotiations are already going on and I should think she is holding out for something major and that's why she's kind of bit you know being so hardline about it for a for a big job and you know just in the last sort of five minutes or so it's been confirmed that Rishi Sunak does have the backing of more than half the parliamentary party so that raises serious questions not just for Penny Morton getting on the ballot but even if she does how will she be able to uh, unite a parliamentary party that's backed uh, another candidate over her uh, that's a very difficult question. You know, in the past 10 minutes, Simon Clark, who was Rishi Sunak's biggest critic, the levelling up secretary, has just backed him. So that gives you an indication of where the parliamentary party's mood is at. And mm. Boris Johnson will have known all of this, wouldn't he, Libby, uh, when he made that sort of uncharacteristic concession last night. He will have looked at these numbers and thought, well, actually, no, thank you, because there's only one way this is likely to end, and it's with me... Uh, 
out of my ear and not in number 10. Uh, but frankly, if the Conservative Party, which has wasted most of the summer trying to find a new leader and found a disastrous one, uh, if they are going to throw this back out to the 80,000-odd people who have a vote, uh, I mean, that is, that, that's curtains. I mean, that is absolutely the least respectable thing they can possibly do. They've got Rishi Sunak. What we know about him is he's clever, he's numerate, he's keen on detail, he tightly follows his briefs, he is affable. His Yorkshire constituency seems to like him. He mixes there. He talks to ordinary people with ordinary problems. He has a family life there. Um, and he's too rich to be bought. He's not going to be truffling around like David Cameron or Boris or some ministers for future bunts in his future life. So I think he is a very interesting candidate. If we are going to carry on without a general election for the next couple of years, I would rather see him there than anyone else. And I think the Conservative Party in Parliament is slowly coming to its senses and realising this. Uh, if Penny Mordaunt had a bit of grace, I think she would, over the next hour or so, gently retire and just let everybody get on with it. But I do not think if it goes out to the Conservative members in the country again, I think that's just a disgrace. That's another week wasted after all these wasted weeks of no government. Well, there appears to be little sign of that happening just yet. Penny Morden saying she's in it to win it. Um, but clearly, the arithmetic appears to be pointing in only one direction, Rachel. Uh, and Rishi mm. Sunak is, has amassed the sort of broad coalition that he didn't the first time. You know, you have people from all wings of the party backing him, everyone from Steve Baker uh, on the right to, uh, you know, your, your Grant Shapses and the, the other people who backed him first time. Um, how should he balance his top team? Is now the time for a genuine return to uh, a broad church in the Conservative Party? I think he does need to have a broad church, but he also has to appoint on merit and talent. So you can't any longer have this kind of narrow cabinets chosen on the basis of loyalty, the kind of nodding, nodding dog approach to cabinet appointments. Um, he's got to have a mix of different parts politically of the party, but not just tokenistic right-wingers or tokenistic centrists. They've got to be the best people, and there are good people, actually, on all the wings. The interesting dilemma for him will be what does he do if anything, with Boris Johnson. And I think he's got to avoid putting him anywhere near his cabinet like the plague, mm. because as soon as he puts him in the cabinet, or you know, um, he becomes the story, he becomes a rival power base. Um, and that would just be a disaster. So he's got to, obviously, Boris Johnson, I think, has been totally humiliated this week, actually. Um, you know, the fact that nobody, whether or not he did have the 100 MPs, he says he had 102. But the problem is nobody believes him. Nobody can believe him because he's lied so much about so much else. Um, so he's been humiliated and he can be sidelined now. And I think it's quite important that Rishi Sunak has the confidence to do that, but does bring in other people, does run a genuinely big tent operation uh, and also reaches out to other parties in in the house of commons so on things like education he made some really interesting comments um supporting the british baccalaureate during the tory leadership contest like our times education commission and he could definitely build cross-party alliances on things like that so stop being this kind of narrow you know tories are divisive turn, turn the tories into the party of national the national interest rather than narrow party interest or narrow narrow faction within a party interest uh, libby do you agree terrible idea to bring boris johnson Everything, back into the cabinet 
Yeah, I agree with everything everything Rachel is saying. I mean, apart from anything else, Boris Johnson uh, is on holiday most of the time, as far as I can make out. He's been on holiday while the House is sit- seated, sitting recently. Um, of course we do. We, we need him... It, great distance. Backbench Boris, if Boris at all, is is how it should be. And absolutely a cabinet of all the talents and as say, reaching possibly reaching out to other parties. Um, we, I hope, the greatest hope I have, the one thing I don't know about Rishi Sunak, you know, the one which I would want to know to encourage me in thinking about the country's future, because these people are actually running the country, you know, they're not just, you know, who gets the BAFTA. This is serious. Um, I don't know if he's a diplomat. I hope he's enough of a diplomat within the party to assemble this interesting cabinet of a lot of different talents and to be emollient, you know, to be to be firm but kindly uh, with people. Because watching the governing party ripping itself to pieces like a lot of rats in a sack has not been edifying and it does not lead to good government. So I hope he is a peaceable man. I hope he is a diplomat. That's all we can hope. Rachel, you've been writing this morning on another subject, a related subject. The next government will uh, obviously be in office by the end of this week, but the next government after that, perhaps, the Labour Party, you've been writing about Keir Starmer's preparations for power in The Times this morning. Very good piece, which you can uh, pick up in a copy of the paper or online. Um, tell us about that. What, 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 what are the plans underway inside the Labour Party? Because if you look at the polls, yeah. uh, it would appear that exactly. they're, they're, on, yeah. they're on course for power. But... Yeah, and what what's so interesting to me is talking to people on both sides of the political divide. The Tories are just in this kind of meltdown, chaos, deeply depressed, the MPs. But on Labour, there's this real sense of focus, determination. They want to be ready. They've, they're now thinking of themselves as a government in waiting. So they've started um, sort of uh, masterclasses for shadow cabinet members in how to be a minister which are being organised by the Institute for Government. And Keir Starmer has been talking to Tony Blair and Gordon Brown about how you be a prime minister. Um, they even, uh, he's got his own version of a red box that people can put uh, the, for the papers to go in for him to read overnight. And shadow ministers have a deadline each day where they have to submit the papers. So there's a new sort of professionalism. They even, um, apparently I was told that they in the, in the shadow cabinet table, they now take the places that they would take around the cabinet table to give this sense of a government in waiting. Um, but there is this really interesting dilemma for the Labour Party about how radical are they now? How do, do they have to win this with a sort of exciting radical agenda or do they just need to kind of teeter towards the finishing line? And there was that famous um, metaphor that Roy Jenkins used about Tony Blair before the 97 election, that he was like a man carrying a Ming vase across a very slippery mm. floor. And several people have used that to me about Keir Starmer. That's the sort of, is he too cautious? And um, I spoke to both uh, Peter Mandelson and David Blunkett, big beasts from previous Labour governments, who said he's got to be a little bit bolder and say, what does he want to be prime minister for? He's making all these preparations, but what exactly is it all for? Well, that's a really interesting. That's a really interesting question. I love the line, uh, uh, you know, on the front of on the front, which on the front of the paper as well as uh, inside. You know, talking about Keir Starmer being in the mindset that he's already. Uh, a minister, you know, you can't just WhatsApp Keir about substantive policy issues anymore. It all goes into that red box you mentioned. Libby, when you look at the Labour Party, and clearly there are lots of unanswered questions, particularly about what they would do on the economy. But do you see a team that's ready for government or are there questions that are still unanswered? 
Uh, I am very pleased that they are doing, as, as Rachel describes in her fascinating piece, that preparing for government. I mean, basically, it's, uh, it's driving lessons, isn't it? Uh, they're going to have to work this machine. So mirror signal, manoeuvre around fellow MPs, manoeuvre around civil service. Um, I think... I think there's quite a lot of hope there. They've got some very good people, you know, we're streeting people like that, um, who, who seem honorable, who interested, focused. Uh, it's, it's, it's nearly time. So I think, I think they, there is some hope there, but they're inevitably, as with the Conservative Party, uh, this desperate age of individualism and me, 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 and this is what I think and my views are the only ones worth listening to, they've got their share of that inside the Labour Party as well. We know that, you know, there's still a sort of a Corbynite faction. And uh, it's about a leader, a degree of diplomacy and a degree of firmness, which will be necessary to keep this in order and choosing a sensible cabinet. So I hope, you know, I, I have hope because I have hope for the country. Because it's uh, like I say, it's this is not about you know who's winning a football match or um, you know who is who's the star and who's got the BAFTA. This is about people's actual lives, about all our safety and our health and security and the status of the country that we live in, and it's serious. And I'm glad they're getting serious. Well, diplomacy and firmness, Libya, your watchwords this morning. I think we'll get plenty of firmness today. I'm not sure we're going to get that much diplomacy from within the Conservative Party, but we'll see. Luke Purvis and Rachel Sylvester there, and of course, you can pick them up every week in The Times. Just pick up a copy of the paper or subscribe at thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Coming up, can Rishi Sunak save the Tories? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to Patrick McGuire on the Redbox podcast. Now it's time for this. Given that we're just hours away, potentially, from finding out who our next Prime Minister is, with Rishi Sunak having the support of well over 150 MPs and Penny Morden battling, perhaps vainly, to get them by 2pm in order to stay in the race, we're asking, can either of those two candidates 
rescue the Tory party from a landslide election defeat to Labour in two years' time, given the polling is as patchy and grim as it is for the Conservative Party? And what can either of them do when they arrive in office, be, they, be that this afternoon or later this week? Lots of questions to chew over and we've got a series of experts to do it with this morning. Will Tanner is director of Onward, the think tank who've got some polling out this morning showing that a third of voters say they will never support the Conservatives again. That is very bold talk. And Will joins us now to discuss it. Morning, Will. Good morning, Patrick. Uh, that's pretty stark for a third of all voters. And I assume that's, there's a chunk of 2019 Tory voters in there, a substantial chunk in there too to say they have, they will never support the Conservatives again. Is that terminal for the Conservative Party, do you think? Well, it's an incredibly uh, depressing finding if you're on the centre-right. Um, it's worth worth noting that that is 35% of people who say that they uh, or rate their likelihood of never voting Conservative, or, or sorry, rate their likelihood of ever voting Conservative at naught out of 100. Mm. So naught percent likelihood of ever voting Conservative. That's a, around 10 percentage points higher than for any other major party. Uh, and it's a very, very large proportion of people. At the same percentage, it's worth saying 35 percent of people say that their likelihood of ever voting Conservative is over 50 percent. So uh, the Conservatives are fishing in an increasingly small pond of voters and really need to uh, shift that if they're going to stand a chance of, uh, of getting anywhere near the, the type of uh, vote share that they got at the last election. And, and you talk about a small pond. Another interesting finding from your polling is a dramatic increase in the average age of uh, the Tory voter, the average Tory voter. It's up 14 years from 2019. So the average Tory voter now, the average voter who says they'll vote Conservative is now 14 years older than they were in 2019. And if you look at polling on every policy area, uh, you found that, that, that increasingly the party is not trusted to deal with anything. And obviously that's partly a consequence of the economic situation we find ourselves in. It's not all the fault of uh, Liz Truss or Boris Johnson, of course. But from this really low base, uh, how can the Conservative Party even begin to broaden its appeal? Is that is that even possible politically, do you think, in the next two years? Well, I think I think the first thing to say is that this is the nadir for the Conservative Party. This is the worst position the party has been in for a very long time. Uh, we find that this is this is worse than uh, any period since the 1980s, apart from the 1992 to 1997 period. And uh, clearly we know how that one ended. So the Conservative Party has rarely been in such dire straits. Um, so the positive way of looking at that is it's only... Uh, it's only going to get better from here. Indeed. And and I do think the Conservative Party does have an opportunity. So around 30% of voters uh, who voted for the party last time uh, are saying that they don't know how they'll vote uh, at the next election. So they're on the bench. Actually, it would be possible, I think quite possible for the Conservative Party to convert them back into Tory voters. Around 15% say they have switched to Labour. Um, those will be much harder to reconvert back to the Conservative Party. But we do know that they did that last time very successfully under Boris Johnson. And I do I think that the kind of 2019 uh, playbook of uh, moving towards the centre, maybe even slightly to the left on economics, being prepared to intervene to make the economy work for people, plus uh, a socially uh, and culturally conservative vision on things like immigration and crime, that does have the potential to appeal to a very large number of voters. Um, there is a long way to go, but th there is a light at the end of the tunnel, I think. Well, you've worked with prime ministers and, and cabinet ministers inside government before, 
uh, Will, and you've looked at uh, tricky situations the Conservative Party have been in before. In a sentence or so, what would your advice be to the next Prime Minister and who, just as a second supplementary question, does the polling suggest is best place to sort this out? Well, so in a sentence, embrace the conservatism, the national conservatism that won the election in 2019. So uh, in the centre on the economy and to the right on social and cultural issues. And in terms of who is best placed, I think uh, both potential candidates do have the opportunity, although I do think Rishi Sunak, both during his time as Chancellor and during the leadership uh, election during the summer, did demonstrate a commitment to these type of values um, that... Uh, potentially could unite the 2019 coalition again. Will Tanner, Director of Onward, thank you very much indeed for joining us and setting out just how low a base uh, the Conservative leader, the next Conservative leader and Prime Minister, is going to be mounting the fight back from. And given that what Will says and given what the numbers are saying in Parliament, uh, I think it's likely not that that person will be Rishi Sunak, but of course we won't know until 2pm. But we know all about what Rishi Sunak wants from this leadership contest because the last one only happened a few weeks ago, of course. My message to the party and the country is simple. I have a plan to steer our economy through these headwinds. We need a return to traditional conservative economic values. And that means honesty and responsibility, not fairy tales. It is not credible to promise lots more spending and lower taxes. Once we've gripped inflation, I will get the tax burden down. It is a question of when, not if. Well, joining me to discuss what uh, the markets might think about all of this and what the political context to the incoming Prime Minister will be is Dom O'Connell, Times Radio's business correspondent. And Oliver Wright, the Times' policy editor. Morning, Ollie. Morning. Do you think the mere fact of a, you know, I'll put the same question to you. Clearly, the markets uh, did not enjoy their time under Liz Truss. Uh, and that was a large part of the volat- part of the reason for the volatility. The political volatility was because uh, the markets had become very volatile. Do you think, yeah. should Rishi Sunak come in and calm the markets? Uh, will that make his political task more easy? Will that give him more wiggle room to do some of the trickier things? I mean, weirdly, it will make his task um, easier financially as well, because one of the things with um, higher guilt yields was every time the government tried to borrow more money, the amount that they were having to pay to borrow that money was was larger. So if his sheer presence in number 10 brings down those yields, it will cost the government less to borrow and make it easier, a little bit easier, um, to make the sums add up. And I think certainly what you've seen today after, after Johnson pulled out is yeah, both sterling rallying, um, it's now higher than it was, certainly a little bit earlier than it was before the uh, the mini-budget, and also um, gilts have rallied, so the yields on those gilts have fallen. And given that, uh, you know, Jeremy Hunt came in and ripped up Trustonomics and essentially issued the same message that Rishi Sunak was saying during the leadership campaign, which was these things have to be paid for and the ship will have to be steadied. Do you sense that Rishi Sunak is going to... Uh, will one, keep uh, Jeremy Hunt in office, and then two, accept uh, the premise of that argument? Yes. I mean, yes on both counts. I think it's a racing certainty that Hunt will remain as Chancellor. The two have had a conversation um, in recent days about what Hunt is planning. 
Um, and you know, obviously you saw last night before actually Johnson pulled out, um, Hunt came out and um, back soon out for the leadership. And I would, I would really expect that he, he carries on in that job and that the two men have already had discussions about you know, what Hunt is planning to do on the 31st. Now, clearly when Sunak, uh, even when he gets into Downing Street, will want to have a look at that, you know, as a former chancellor himself, he, he understands those sort of numbers. But I think the direction of travel is clear and, you know, there are going to be probably some tax rises, some spending reductions. It may not be quite as bad um, as certainly Hunt was suggesting uh, when he talked about eye-wateringly difficult decisions. I think there was a little bit of pitch rolling going on there. They're trying to make it seem as if it's going to be dreadful. So when it actually comes out, people <laughs> breathe a sigh of relief. But it will still be it will still be difficult. But, you know, effectively, Hunt and Sunak are on the same page in terms of economic management. And we're assuming, Dom, we've got you back in the line now, we're, we're assuming, Dom O'Connell, that things are going to be difficult for quite a while. And part of that is self-inflicted as a result of the mini-budget. And obviously a lot of that is because of global issues like inflation, the, the war in Ukraine, interest rates are rising across the globe. Let's indulge a counterfactual for a minute. Is there anything you can see on the horizon that will make the next two years easier for the, for the incoming Prime Minister in terms of the global economy? Or is it going to be sticky for quite some time yet? Well, the, the one hope that any new chancellor or prime minister will have is that energy prices go down. And that's largely dependent on what happens with the war in Ukraine. Inflation will tail off at some stage. I mean, the, the Bank of England's big worry is that you get some kind of wage price spiral, which, which starts to go and, and generates its own fuel, as it were. So, so it's not just energy prices, which is driving inflation, but this constant spiral of, of wages going up, prices going up and so on. And that is captured in core inflation, which was is worryingly quite high. And so the Bank of England will have that in mind when it do, announces its new interest rate decision, which is only three days after the, the new budget and the OBR verdict on that budget. So there's, there's going to be quite a lot happening that week. I think, I think the OBR numbers will be very interesting because, because uh, in earlier OBR publications looking forward, they've put some quite high numbers on, on government borrowing and the government deficit even before the mini-budget. So I think, I think those OBR numbers are going to be quite chastening. And then the Bank of England, of course, three days later, uh, will see interest rates. There, there is some good news this morning, though, away from, from the bond markets, so influenced by the bond markets. Uh, if you look at uh, uh, futures for UK interest rates, uh, they're now looking at mortgage rates of about 5% next year, not 6% as it was last week, and it touched nearly 7% in the days after the mini-budget. So for people remortgaging, uh, a small glimmer of good news, and that's, I guess, good news for, for the new Prime Minister and the Chancellor as well. Well, looking at the politics again, Ollie, just to wrap up, um, it's going to be tricky regardless. Say it's Rishi Sunak, given the numbers don't appear to be there for Penny Morden. He's had a glut of cabinet endorsements this morning from people who back Liz Truss. Simon Clark, Brandon Lewis, the, uh, the Justice Secretary, has become the latest to, to endorse him to jump over from Liz Truss. Robert Buckland, the Welsh Secretary. He has, you know, unity has broken out in the Conservative Party. But do you think it's robust enough? Do you think the party is in the right sort of place to to weather these difficult decisions with Rishi Sunak? Or do you sense this is a sort of marriage of convenience and things could fall apart again very quickly? It is absolutely um, a marriage of convenience. But I do think there is a sense amongst you know, the vast majority of Conservative MPs that, you know, the Boris show is now over. Um, he's not coming back for a while. Um, they can't 
lose another prime minister at that point you know election becomes absolutely inevitable and somehow they have to make this work and sunak is a known quantity i would expect that when he starts sort of naming his cabinet he does as, as much as possible to create a sort of big tent there will be you know supporters of boris johnson in there there'll be supporters of this trust in there um he will try and sort of divide up the jobs so that it, it has the feeling of a of a, of a cabinet that represents all wings of the party even perhaps if that means you know lesser jobs for some of his supporters um and looking at the makeup of that cabinet will be um utterly fascinating but i mean i think the one thing in cnet's favor is that you know most mps you know realize that the next few months are going to be incredibly difficult um you know those who supported trust and her policies have been badly chastened by the consequences of that and know that you know that is not an argument they can make for quite a long time and they don't really have much choice other than to um you know get with the program and and back sooner but you know being no doubt under the surface those divisions are very much alive and well and you know how long soon can keep the show on the road is is a moot question well it certainly is it certainly is and there's plenty more to discuss but oliver wright policy editor of the times and dom o'connell uh, business correspondent for Times Radio. Thanks very much for joining me. Now, what will that show that Oliver Wright was talking about keeping on the road there? What will it look like? Because there are only two years left uh, before the next election, in all likelihood, barring another change of leader. Uh, You've got a fractious parliamentary party. You've got severe economic headwinds. Government's room for manoeuvre, even in the best case scenario, is going to be limited and time is short. So what can or should at the next Prime Minister to do, to secure some sort of legacy and leave the country in a better state than they found it. Well, earlier I spoke to Rachel Wolfe, who co-wrote the Tories' 2019 manifesto. I asked her what the new Prime Minister can do with two years before that election that causes the Conservatives the least political pain. So, well, I mean, there's the piece that is not minimum political pain, but obviously is going to have to absorb most of the Prime Minister's attention, which is the economy and trying to both reassure the markets and have um, as few spending cuts as possible, because the problem with those spending cuts is there is absolutely no mandate for them and no real expectation of them. And it will appear to the public that they are entirely due to the Conservatives' own mistakes. So, I mean, clearly that's priority number one. But um, what I uh, have found very distressing about the last couple of years is that on a whole host of domestic fronts, where actually even when there isn't um, sort of controversial legislation, um, ministers don't seem to have done very much. And there have been some good reasons for that, like COVID, and there have been some bad reasons for that, which is there's just been this constant obsession with the kind of warfare um, in the aftermath of Boris leaving, and then Liz Truss blowing everything up, and now this next leadership election. Uh, So levelling up white paper is a really good example. It had some quite big promises around devolution. Not much. uh, They managed to get a couple of deals through in the summer, but not much has happened since then. Signed some more deals. There were some big promises around increases in spending in R&D and what that was going to do for places um, across the country, but also London and the southeast. Haven't really heard much about that. It's kind of ground to a halt, but it's one of the ways in which we might grow in the future there were all these plethora of leveling up funds going left right and center i haven't the faintest idea what's happened to any of them and, and I'm you're paid more... to care about this stuff exactly so i doubt anyone else has um so i just feel like there are lots of things which are about the kind of base job of government which is to pursue these priorities make sure the police is functioning actually have a laser-like view on how the health system is functioning you know why is it 
that even though the health system will have had about 43% more funding in real terms by the end of this parliament than in 2010, it's all much worse. Like th those kinds of questions seem to me, um, even if they're not gonna win you an election, what being government is about and what um, this new cabinet is gonna need to pursue. And we're very used to by now, particularly given how febrile the mood and the Conservative Party has been since Brexit, indeed before that's how we arrived at the referendum, you know, a, a parliamentary party that's basically become ungovernable. We're very used to big rebellions, even with a majority of 80-odd. Um, of is, is there much a government will be able to do without legislating, for instance? Is there, are there easy wins that can be picked off that won't require subjecting contentious plans, difficult reforms yeah. to um, a very fickle and ill-disciplined parliamentary party? Well, everything I just named does not require legislation. Devolution deals do not uh, continue with R&D, do not spending the levelling up funds properly, do not, there are actually quite a lot of even planning reforms that do not require legislation. So I think the short answer is yes. And I mean, there's two years to go, even if there is not an election, which I think there is a good argument for. We don't have time for fundamental reforming legislation at this point. I, we should just forget about it. What we need to do is do the basic business of government well. So, so yes, I think is the answer. Um, that, uh, and, and even in 2015, when the Conservatives won that very small majority, it was very difficult to get contentious legislation through. Um, so you have to find other ways of governing. Anything else we haven't covered? Uh, any other easy wins that the next Prime Minister can get done in the next two years or so and at least leave, as you wrote last week, with their head held high saying they can point to tangible achievements? Well, I think the, the big one we haven't talked about is energy. So the fact that we are not building more energy infrastructure, the fact that we are saying nothing still to households about how they can cut their energy use over the winter when we potentially are looking at blackouts, how they can reduce their use in future is, I think, negligent um so that is an obvious massive task for the next prime minister and i think trust had this kind of strange view that it was somehow nanny state to tell people how they might wish to reduce their costs if they want to and this seems to me completely insane and in short does the next government have any time to be anything but a a government that deals with these big challenges you know liz truss in a sense wanted to cram the entire thatcher revolution into a week yeah. uh should the next prime minister try and do anything but resolve these big challenges and mop up a few of the outstanding policy issues you've identified um, if they want to secure a legacy? So, I mean, the way I think about it is there's the prime minister and he's going to have two or three things that are going to completely absorb him. And then he has a massive cabinet and series of ministers. And every single one of those people have things they can do that are useful for the public and they should do if they want to look back in this period um, and feel like they've achieved something. So I, I absolutely think there are things that are, can be achieved. Is it a rewriting of the state? No. Does it matter to people? Yes. Well, that was Rachel Wolfe, co-author of the Conservative 29 manifest, uh, 2019 manifesto, rather, on what the party's next prime minister can do to salvage a domestic agenda and a legacy from the next two years. Now, one man who thinks Rishi Sunak has the answer to both those questions is Conservative MP Richard Holden, one of many to be backing the former Chancellor. Priti Patel, the former Home Secretary, has just joined the series of big beasts to back to him this morning. She's defected from Boris Johnson. And Richard, it's been a good morning, hasn't it? 
It has. There's been a, I think it's been a good morning for the um, party and for the country, actually. Um, we've seen a real coalescing now around Rishi. He's got well over the support of um, half the Tory MPs already. Uh, about uh, 85, 90 percent of those who publicly declared are now uh, on his side. So, um, yeah, no, it's been a, it's, I think it's moving in the right direction. And do you think... Obviously, no no one, not least Rishi Sunak, is pretending the next two or three years are going to be easy for the Conservative Party or the government. Do you think colleagues are now in a constructive frame of mind? Do you think they realise, even those who haven't supported uh, Rishi Sunak and have supported Boris Johnson or Penny Morden, do you think they are now ready to see the bigger picture and unite behind him or are things going to be just as fractious as they have been in the past few years? Well, look, I think seeing people like James Cleverley, uh, Jonathan Gullis, and I texted... Um, uh, James Doodridge last night, and he was very kindly texted me back. And I think if if uh, if people are in that sort of uh, frame of mind, where they're you know rebuilding together, going back to those normal relationships, I think the party is in a very strong place to unite and then go on to win the next general election. But that's what we have to do now, um, from all sides of the party, and get together. And look, you're not a clairvoyant, and you know I wouldn't expect you to speak for Rishi Sunak or the next Chancellor, but. Should voters ex- expect a bit of pain to come? Because clearly uh, Jeremy Hunt has a set of uh, proposals ready for that fiscal statement, wherever it comes. Tough choices are going to have to happen now. We're all used to seeing Rishi Sunak as the Chancellor who uh, intervenes, come what may, and make sure uh, bills are paid and, and food is on the table. Uh, but he may now have to go from Santa Claus to Scrooge, might he? Are you ready to go out there and defend that sort of thing? Well, people might pretend there are easy choices, but there are no easy choices. Uh, There might be short-term easy choices, but we can see what happens when people try and make them. The truth is that the government needs to have economic competence at its heart, credibility with the markets, political credibility as well. Um, I think you can see today with the huge swathe of people coming over, just in Brandon Lewis has come over, one of the um, secretaries of state, uh, you know, that people are really getting behind him in order to deliver that that's um, that stability and credibility that the party needs going forwards and that Rishi's government, um, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced, will be a hallmark of Rishi's government. You are the MP for North West Durham, Richard. It's a marginal constituency. You won it off Labour in 2019. In 2024 or 20, early 2025, uh, you're, you're confident Rishi is the man to beat Keir Starmer and win an election. What do you think you'll be able to point to when when you go back to the voters and say, listen, it's been a tricky few years. Uh, we've had COVID, we've had the war in Ukraine, we've had tricky economic circumstances, and yes, there have been times when the Conservative Party haven't helped ourselves. But what is, what is Rishi Sunak going to achieve in the time that's left, do you think? Well, I think for my constituents, you know, one of the things that I've always argued for since I was elected and focused on is trying to make things better at a national level for um, working people across the country. So we've seen the national insurance threshold raised from just under uh, from about £9,500, £12,500. That puts money in the pocket of every working person in my constituency. Uh, we've seen the taper rate on universal credit reduced. You'll remember when we came to office, sometimes people paid marginal rates of over 100% if they did over 16 hours a week work. That's not the case anymore. We've got that down to 63% and then the budget early this year down to 55%. We've seen the living wage go up. That's a £1,000 in the pockets of my uh, constituents, many of whom 
in low paid work. Um, and um, uh, on a local level, you know, we've, I've campaigned hard for to get uh, abolish the motorhomes tax, which has saved jobs in my constituency for things like a, a new de lower deferential rate of uh, beer duty for pubs trying to save uh, and help the hospitality sector as it recovers from COVID. Um, and I think on a local level, you know, things like I've been campaigning for a replacement hospital, uh, which I'm hoping at least we'll see some space on the ground on that, a better transport infrastructure, um, better education provision, we already got some cash for the rebuilding of one school in my constituency. I'd like to see uh, some more of that. But that's all positive stuff moving in the right direction. But the key thing that we've got to deliver is economic stability. It's, got, it's all about jobs uh, and it's all about getting people into good, well-paid jobs and providing more opportunities for their kids. Um, that's what's going to be at the heart of Rishi's uh, plan alongside, obviously, that core message of economic stability and competence at the heart of government. Um, that's what he was delivering when he was chancellor. And, uh, you know, and he always looked out for people in constituencies like mine, whether it was a furlough scheme, that support for small businesses during the pandemic, uh, or, you know, earlier this year, targeted support on energy mm -hmm. bills. That's exactly the sort of thing I want to see him continuing to do. But we have to do it in a fiscally responsible way and keep the public finances in order. Because, you know, for every 1% we actually pay on the national debt, that's around £22 billion a year. For your listeners, that's just sound like an enormous number. That's equivalent of around 4% on the basic rate of income tax. That's money that's not being spent on public services or not being handed back to them in tax reductions of their own money. So, I want, so the more economic competence we can show, actually the more money we get to invest in public services or give back to our constituents because it is their money after all. Well, you've made a very convincing pitch there, Richard. I'm sure I'll learn your place in Rishi's cabinet come what may. Richard Holden, Conservative MP for North West Durham and you won't be surprised to hear, a big supporter of Rishi Sunak. Thanks for joining us on today's big thing, asking those two questions, the questions that will dominate the coming months and the rest of the lifetime of this parliament. What will the next prime minister be able to do and can it save the Conservative Party? That's all we've got time for on today's podcast. Remember, I'm in every day for Matt this week. Remember to like, rate and subscribe wherever you get your pods. Hold up. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.